0: now we're going to get wednesday weather whiplash here on february 28th 2024 uh we had a high of 73 yesterday we're yes. looking tonight could be around 21
1: 22. I'm you. <laughs> oh my wait, gosh. wait 24 hours to go from summer to winter in michigan
0: oh my <laughs> lord so yeah it's going to be i mean we got uh, kind of the the february unicorn two tornadoes one north of marshall one in genesee still have yet to be confirmed by the National Weather Service, but they certainly saw the rotation and the damage on the ground. Nick Monticelli's up there for Local 4, and if you look at the damage, it certainly looks Mm -hmm. uh, like there was uh, tornadic damage there. So we'll wait to see what happened there. But uh, our weird winter continues. Uh, Things not so weird on the political front went pretty much according to, I think, expectations. Let's start with uh, the Republican primary, Jamie, where uh, Donald Trump predicted on this radio station yesterday, he was going to win by 80 points or thereabouts. It was about half that.
2: Well, he had about 755,909 is the total I'm looking for. Of total votes, percentage 68.2%. Yeah,
0: wins by a two to one margin. That's
2: certainly a, a, a big margin. But there is the question of Nikki Haley. She got 26.5% of the vote. Does that concern them going to the general?
0: She's not growing. OK, her, you know, that 26 percent is not Smaller as well as she did. Yeah. yeah, it's not the direction she needs to go. The, what was interesting there, there was enough bleed off. that still one third uh, is a non-Trump vote. And so the question is, where do those people go in November?
2: Exactly. And people still voting for DeSantis and Christie.
0: <laughs> well, and they and 3 yeah. percent voted for uncommitted there, which right. is which is a no Trump vote right but 68 percent still impressive we're headed for a rematch this kind of locks it in she's in for super tuesday
2: she must just have the money
0: she does except the coke, coke brothers, brothers have now yeah. pulled the plug and mm-hmm. re- at least moved it elsewhere uh so we'll see after super tuesday where this goes but you know in south carolina <laughs> south carolina we saw 60 percent of her vote say we're never voting for donald trump that's a problem you look over in kent county she got 34 percent of the vote for a Republican to win statewide you've got to have a commanding lead in Kent County in Oakland County and you really have to perform huge in Macomb in Macomb yeah. Trump did that yesterday mm-hmm. but in Oakland County and Kent County there are some warning signs there similar to what there was in 2020 where he yeah. under any underperformed in Macomb didn't lose but underperformed there compared to 2016 we'll see where it goes meantime Joe Biden's uncommitted. Yeah. Little, little, they kind of were looking at 10% as their goal, right? Yeah,
1: that's right. And uh, primaries held that added significance as Michigan kicked off the primary season for the key battleground states, notably a movement urging Democrats to vote uncommitted, gained traction, reflecting dissatisfaction with Biden's response to the Gaza crisis. Despite Biden's strong showing with 81% of the vote, around 13% opted for uncommitted signaling significant discontent now the movement may spread to other states with organizing efforts underway in minnesota and washington for the biden campaign the challenge lies in addressing concerns over his gaza policy and mitigating any perceived loss of momentum particularly as the conflict persists now biden thanked every Michigander who made their voice heard in the statement last night after his projected uh, primary win he did not directly acknowledge the uncommitted protest campaign against him Though, he said, exercising the right to vote and participating in our democracy is what makes America great. Now, for Trump, roughly 30 percent of Republicans who voted either for South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley or on the GOP's uncommitted line well, might be a little bit more difficult to parse, though it's his third presidential nomination in three tries could be clinched in a few weeks. The fact remains that a sizable group of Republicans are either firmly opposed to him or they still need to be won over, including in a state that he won just by a sliver guy in 2016 and then uh, lost to Biden by roughly 150,000 votes four years later.
0: Uh, Nevertheless, we had on the Republican side, what, uh, 15, 16 delegates that are going to be determined by this primary yesterday. The lion's share will be determined in a March 2nd get-together question is, which <laughs> get together? Which get together? <laughs> Christina Caramo is out. The judge ruling in Kent County, uh, Joe Rossi ruling, that she was ousted, and she was ousted legally, that they followed uh, the bylaws, so that Peter Hookstra is the legitimate chairman of the Republican Party in the state of Michigan. She called it grossly unfair and left the question open whether or not she's still going to hold this March 2nd. I mean, if, if she does... It is a rump convention, right? It It is is not a legitimate convention. Right. She also doesn't hold the checkbook anymore. So if you're Huntington Place, (laughs) you know, she says, I I haven't, you know, we haven't decided yet.
2: Well, Well, circumstances
0: are kind of deciding for you. Yeah, if you don't have the loot to do it.
2: Also, it's Wednesday. I mean, just logistically.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would hope that at some point, you know, this is someone who has never acknowledged losing Uh, the Secretary of State's uh, election. I don't know to what degree she will concede here. But at some point you have to say, look, as a party, we need to unify and we need to be in one place on March 2nd. We'll see what she does in the next couple. And we'll be talking uh, throughout the morning. We've got Debbie Dingell. We've got uh, Jason Rowe coming in and others to kind of give us some analysis. Whether that 30%, the 13% figure for Joe Biden... Mm -hmm. And, and whether that figure might grow in other states. You know, they only had a couple of weeks to, to ramp up That's right. that uncommitted campaign. Um, you know, and at the same time, while he hasn't been addressing it directly. directly.
1: Indirectly, he kind of has because he's talking about the ceasefire hopefully coming together by Monday. It's not the permanent one that a lot of mm-hmm. the uh, uh, Arab Americans want here, but they, uh, he's, he's listening. He has to be listening because he's trying to get at least a temporary ceasefire.
0: Yeah, Time Gallup came out with one of their polls and um it's good news and bad news for Joe Biden. The most important problem facing the US is no longer the economy. 28% now say it is uh the uh it is the immigration. And when you've got that many saying immigration is number 1, Joe Biden is vulnerable. And so, I mean, we, we all know he's going to be going down to the border along with President Trump later this week to, to make his case down there. He's going to continually say that, well, they had a, they had a solution, but the Republicans didn't want it. I don't know that that matters at this point. There's one guy that they're going to blame for it. And that's the guy that signed 50 executive orders. Yeah. And so uh, that that is a big wake up call for for him. So 28 percent naming immigration is the most important problem. The only good side on it is, is I think now inflation has fallen to number three. That doesn't mean people are still not resentful for the higher prices that they're paying and won't hold him accountable. But, I mean, it it seems then that people are saying that there are more important things facing our nation, and the border is one of them.
2: Uh, We talk a lot about EVs on this program, and it seems like Apple is making a decision to get out of the business, winding down its effort to create an electric car with autonomous capabilities, After they poured resources into this highly secretive project for like 10 years, two weeks ago, the company was testing the vehicles on a California highway. But on Tuesday, Apple told executives, executives told the employees that it scrapped the project and is now shifting members of the group to focus on generative artificial intelligence efforts. This is all according to Bloomberg. And everyone was saying, this is great that Apple's getting into the business because people love Apple. Mm -hmm. This is how you get to the American consumer, Apple well now
0: they're out <laughs> well consumer design i mean is there anybody better in, in terms of designing products that people love to it technology yes that, that is adaptable and adoptable
2: and that hypes people up yeah apple yeah. but they were they behind were the other companies. hundred
0: pound gorilla along with google and waymo that right. came in and now that they're exiting it shows you that you know uh, they are not masters of the universe uh, and meantime. Great announcement. Finally, the the city council coming together. There was a few speed bumps there. But they've given a go to the Henry Ford
1: project. monumental $3 billion development deal has been given the green light by city council. This transformative project, a collaboration between Henry Ford Health System, Michigan State University, and the Detroit Pistons, Promises to reshape the city's landscape. The approval uh, with a vote six three signals a significant milestone after weeks of intense debate and public input, while proponents, including Council President Mary Sheffield, champion the expansion as a boom for health care accessibility in the city's future. Some dissenters, like Councilwoman Angela Wilfield calloway expressed concerns over the enforceability of the community benefits agreement. Once completed, though, the project will not only enhance health care facilities but also introduce new residential and commercial and recreational elements marking a pivotal moment in detroit's revitalization efforts
0: meantime speaking of revitalization we know that the retail sector has been a mess by the way the futures are trending downward so far this morning but Macy's closing 150 yeah. stores, and that just kind of hits your heart because that's the old Hudson's line, right? They It is, but they were talking
1: about maybe opening some Bloomingdale's and some of these. And I had said, yeah. you, you need, it needs to be something downtown. I would love to see this downtown, a, a department store downtown, but it has to be something that's not at the mall. Right. And, and it, the problem is- we To bring got, people here. To bring people here. Yeah.
0: We, we don't know yet. We've got 14 Macy's stores here. We don't know if any- we Will get the Ziggy, but they seem to be moving the brand upscale. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, that certainly would be good news for Somerset. Oh, absolutely. So that, and that's a main anchor store there. So yes. we'll see where it goes. But man, that just you I hate know. to see these great old venerable names: Hudsons in retail. Marshall Field uh, start, yeah, this, well. <laughs> you know, and then there's you know, know. Sears and Lord and Taylor, Taylor that are now just you know kernel sized. So yeah. um, they continue to shrink, sadly. Uh, When we come back, uh, Speaker uh, Johnson came out of a meeting with Joe Biden, sounding optimistic that they might be able to reach a budget deal before things shut down Friday night. We'll find out where that is. And also, Hunter Biden appearing uh, behind closed doors with the Oversight Committee uh, to answer questions about whether his father profited from his business dealings. We'll get into it all coming up.
2: It was a high stakes meeting at the White House yesterday as top congressional leaders met with President Biden. They're talking about avoiding a government shutdown ahead of the Saturday deadline. We're talking about Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Mike Johnson and Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. Uh, The top Democrats described the meeting as productive and intense. Uh, Mike Johnson has said he wants to avoid a government shutdown. So what does this all mean? Let's bring in Ryan Schmelz, Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, good morning. So do you think it was as productive as some are saying and that we will avoid a shutdown?
3: Well, I I think what what we kind of learn is that these folks are willing to work together to be able to find some type of solution here. And it does seem like most of them are still on board with the idea of passing the individual spending bills that are supposed to be uh, up on the deadline for Friday. Now, of course, we haven't really heard too much from Speaker Johnson about this since it happened. He went, I believe, directly to whatever event he had coming up after this was over. But, you know, McConnell and, and Schumer did seem a lot more optimistic uh, yesterday uh, coming out of the meeting that they did going into it.
1: Do you think uh, when it's all said and done, I mean, I know they're negotiating, they're talking, they want to, you know, slash some spending, but you think it is going to come down to a continued resolution?
3: That's, uh, I think that's the big question mark here. You know, there was some information that went out yesterday that Speaker Johnson was willing to accept maybe a one-week CR and then push another one of the deadlines down to the end of the end of March. Uh, but then that was kind of uh, shot down a little bit by Uh, his press team a little bit later on. So it it seems like the plan is to go forward with these uh, individual appropriations bills. And Susan Collins, who's the top Republican on the Appropriations Committee, said yesterday that we can expect some type of a bill text uh, either today or tomorrow.
0: When it comes to Ukraine and Israel, Ryan, we know that the problem solvers were kind of floating this alternative plan out there, remain in Mexico, kind of a Title 42 type approach to the southern border. Is that gaining any traction or is that withering?
3: It looks like it's getting a decent amount of traction, whether or not it has the support or not to pass, I think is a whole other story. I think what one of the ways that we could possibly see that get brought to the floor is if uh, the problem solvers are able to get enough members to jump on board for what's called a discharge petition. Essentially, if enough members sign on to this, then that would force a vote on the House floor, whether or not Speaker Johnson backs the bill or not. Now, whether or not they have the votes to do that, I think that still remains to be a mystery. But they are gaining and they are whipping. So we'll see if they can get there.
2: Ryan, a switch with Hunter Biden. He said he would only testify in Congress if it was in public. There was a big spectacle. And now he's going to testify in private later on today when they uh, continue with his impeachment inquiry.
3: Right. And I think this kind of shows you the importance of having an impeachment inquiry as opposed to an investigation. Right. You know, I think one of the arguments that Republicans were making for why people should support an impeachment inquiry throughout the House was that, hey, we're going to have greater subpoena power and we're going to have greater legal authority over whether or not somebody comes in for a deposition or or cooperates with us. And I think this is the case there where Hunter Biden had a little bit of leverage before. He could have said no To the House Oversight Committee, but then when the impeachment inquiry was implemented, then uh, he didn't really have as much power to refuse them as they did before. So they were able to negotiate a deposition, and that deposition is finally
1: happening today. But but you know, isn't that you know this whole impeachment inquiry kind of teetering on the brink of collapse? You got all these different. uh, interviews and they obtain all these well, the FBI of, informant. Yeah, was right. Lying. The documents yeah. and you know, the FBI informant, you know, and all of that, you know, is this kind of starting to teeter out a little bit? Well, yeah. Uh, they'll tell you that, right? They certainly have tried to weaponize
3: this latest FBI informant being arrested as a way to say that the, the impeachment inquiry now really lacks credibility and that they still have not been able to find any evidence that shows that President Biden has done any wrongdoing. Uh, You had James Biden, the president's brother, come in last week and vehemently defend his brother and say that he has committed no wrongdoing. Uh, But this is the main event witness in many ways, which Mm -hmm. is what House Republicans have been asking for for a long time, which is to speak to the president's son. Now, some of them don't exactly expect him to be a cooperative witness or an easy witness for them to work with. But still, if they're able to get him on the record for a number of these uh, different business ventures that he had and seeing President Biden ever had any impact with those or benefit from those. I mean, this is going to be probably the witness to get it from.
0: Well, and, and then there's I mean, there's still the spectacle of, of this, the unsavory nature of a guy with absolutely no experience in the industry, industry, having his snout pretty deep in the trough. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's it's not illegal. There may not be evidence that Joe Biden was involved other than Tony Boblinski's testimony. And he seems to be uh, kind of being a little bit more discredited with every other in- witness mm-hmm. they bring through. But, uh, I mean, you still have, in advance of an election, kind of this ugliness of a family profiting greatly from a business they have no expertise in.
3: Well, and that's the big question. You know, I they got evidence of President Biden going to these lavish dinners or maybe having some type of interaction with maybe one of the associates that Hunter Biden had. And, of course, you might be able to say that that is shady behavior. But the big question is, is there anything illegal that happened? Did these people pay President Biden? And did he ever have his policy decisions impacted from these meetings? I don't believe there's any evidence to prove that as of right now. But there certainly might be evidence, and Republicans will make this Case to you that there's evidence of definitely bad behavior or maybe shady behavior or questionable behavior. Uh, but whether or not they can get anything on the record or, or of evidentiary value that proves that President mm-hmm. Biden committed a wrongdoing is a whole other story.
2: Just lastly, we had our primary here, and of course, Biden and Trump won. But there are seeds there that both could be concerned either the Nikki Haley effect or the uncommitted vote effect. Are you hearing anything yeah. about our primary in Washington?
3: Well, it's still very early, still very raw. I I think what we're going to be watching for in the next coming days is how both sides message on this, because uh, I think both sides have ammunition that they can use to attack each other over this. You know,
4: a -hmm. significant
3: amount of people voting uncommitted or uh, I believe it's over 30 percent of the Republican electorate voting for Nikki Haley. You know, these are two people who are former presidents or, or current presidents running uh, to be their party nominee again they have the name recognition they have the political backing they have the the endorsements that they need to you know clean house in their own respective primaries but i mean they're not winning a substantial amount of the vote in each of the the primary contests that they're in so i i'm really curious to see how both side messages on this and defends you know what happened in their respective side but then attacks the other side with, with, with what happened with them
2: Well, politicians know how to spend some things, so we'll see how this goes going forward. Ryan Schmelz, we appreciate you, Fox News radio correspondent and WJR contributor.
3: Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you so much as always.
2: Uh, coming up, we're going to have Debbie Dingell. She can speak to a bunch of her constituents voting uncommitted and what that means for the Democratic Party and Biden yeah, specifically. I think
0: nobody knows the Dearborn area in the district Correct. better than Debbie Dingell. Yes. We'll get that. But also highlights from Donald Trump's interview with Chris Renwick yesterday coming up at 649 as well. We'll have it all for you coming up. A late campaign to push uncommitted as a message about the Israel-Gaza scenario and a message for both progressives and Arab Americans in Michigan to express their displeasure with the Biden administration's support for Israel. Uh, Came through with 13.3% of the votes. Uh, But in the city of Dearborn proper and in that region, President Biden lost to uncommitted. Uh, How significant is that? How worried uh, is the Biden campaign? who better to weigh in on that than someone who knows the Dearborn area well because it's her backyard and her district and that's Debbie Dingell, US Congresswoman for Michigan's 6th district. Good morning.
5: Good morning guy. Good morning to everybody. I'm uh, tired but awake and you guys are helping wake me
0: up. <laughs> well we <we're, laughs> we try our best. Uh we're all we're all awake that's for sure. Um when when you look at this protest vote, how significant was it? Uh they're claiming victory for sending this message? What's the larger message as we head towards November?
5: Well, first of all, let me say this. I was not surprised by this vote. And if you go in and do the analysis, which I have to finish, all the votes were in. Wayne County, as you well know, is always one of the last counties in. Uh, But I've made bets or said to people, I mean, I made it with Rashida. uh, I said to Ed Duggan, who's the Biden campaign manager to the Biden campaign, Haley. Stevens, anybody who would listen, Ann Arbor is going to get more votes on Uncommitted than Dearborn does. Everybody kind of laughed at me. Well, we did. And, you know, last night when people started watching the election returns and they're going, Washington County is coming in and its numbers are, uh, I haven't seen the final, but we're somewhere, you know, between 20 and 25 percent. I'm not sure they got to 25 percent. It reflects the young people. Uh, And I've been telling you, young people are one of the critical groups that we have to be talking to. I think uh, that this campaign was called, the big campaign that helped propel uh, many of these people to vote uncommitted was called Listen to Michigan. And these young voters, I mean, Arab American voters want elected officials to be listening to them. So I think that's the message that you have to take from it i was not surprised and now we've got to do a lot of hard work my district the sixth district uh of michigan had more democratic votes than any other district two years ago and i really want to get in there and do the nitty-gritty analysis and look at these numbers because you know that's what i do when we get them back today and tomorrow but we know what we got to do and we've got to understand we've got a lot of hurt people this is a state, Guy. It's a purple state. I've said this to you a million times. Mm-hmm. We are going to be competitive until Election Day. We have the largest population of Arab American Muslims, or one, California has one, well, but we have the largest population of Arab Americans and Muslims in the country, in our state, their fabric of our community. We also have one of the largest Jewish, state, uh, Jewish communities uh, in the country, or in our state. We've used to have a lot of interfaith efforts. We've all tried to work together. we got to try to do some healing. we got to listen to each other. Uh, and I think that's going to be a significant part of this, but I'm also going to say this to you. we got to get young people. Women, we know. They turned out in record numbers two years ago that Alabama Supreme Court case has energized them. I'm hearing from them every place. They're going to turn out, and we've got to get in the union house. This election is going to come down to voter turnout
1: congresswoman uh, president biden he didn't directly uh, address the uncommitted in a statement he released uh, last night but he is uh trying to uh, get a ceasefire uh in that israeli gaza war so he he hit, he appears to be hearing someone
5: i'm going to say this to you um, Lloyd, I have had very direct conversations with him and you all know how I am when I'm in my direct mode. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I, and they're private conversations and I'm not going to share the gist, but he has heard me and, uh, I can answer. I could talk about those eight hours in very different ways. One, the man is very focused on his game, uh, and gets what's said. And I think, uh, I, Some phone calls were made that I had encouraged him to do, and he was very concerned when he realized the depths of pain that people in the communities are having and is trying to respond to that pain. He did send his team out what's important now, having these conversations again over the last week with the White House is making sure that the key leaders of that community have regular and ongoing conversations with the National Security Council, the Power, State Department, and are being kept abreast of what's happening and hearing what the community's hearing. And many of these community members are getting data. They're talking to family members who who, who cannot escape Gaza. And I think that that's important. And then I hope down the road, the president will be able to have a meeting with some of these leaders.
2: Congresswoman, we had someone from Listen to Michigan on yesterday and I asked the question, well, in an either or situation, is President Trump better for your cause? And she sort of said that doesn't matter to us right now. President Biden is in charge and they're closely watching what he's doing.
5: I think uh, one of the challenges ahead for us is that you've got a raw community right now. And by the way, it's not just this community. If we are going to win Michigan, I want everybody to keep focusing on the fact we need young people, we need women, we need union workers. But in this community, they're raw. You know, I've worked for years in interfaith efforts and both sides are just so raw, they can't yet come together to try to do um, that healing process. And what we really have to do is we have to try to prevent the death any more civilian deaths and get humanitarian aid in there. People are dying because they do not have food. They do not have medicine. They do not have water. They do not have lodging. And the um, a, a president himself has told me that he's been very direct with uh, Netanyahu about any loss of life in Raha and that if they go in there, there must be a plan to protect those civilians, and he is committed to that. So once we he talks temporary ceasefire, I say we need a permanent ceasefire. But uh, with my hope, if something does happen in the next few days, that that turns into a permanent ceasefire, then we got to fill it, figure out how we're going to rebuild Gaza, which mm. has been destroyed, and work to get the humanitarian aid in and get the two-state solution actually built. This is a complicated problem. It's been there for hundreds of years. Maybe, maybe, just if anything good comes out of this horrificness, we can get a solid plan to build that two-state solution. And I also want to be clear, we need all the hostages to come home. Yeah.
0: Uh, Debbie, just switching gears for a moment. We've got a Friday night deadline uh, for appropriations bills. I mean, we've done this dance before, this looming government shutdown, yet there was some notes of optimism after congressional leaders met with the president yesterday. How confident are you or how worried are you that we uh, won't get to this deadline and have a a spending plan uh, that can avert the shutdown?
5: I am living in my normal chaos world. Who knows? I think it's 50-50. I'm at the airport right now taking the 7 o'clock plane back. Um, We have to have – Speaker Johnson has said that anything that we do will be in circulation for three days, 72 hours. There is nothing in writing yet that is being circulated. I think it's better than a 50-50 chance that we could end up shutting the government down over the weekend, uh, which is shut down and has – minimal consequences right uh i mean well the even the tsa this tsa is even in the bills as so we can remember this is a two-step solution there may be some people having to work that won't be paid but it's the the consequences are and that hopefully we get another short term but he's only talking about if we do a short term extending to march 8th and um uh, i think it's march 24th Okay. we got to stop doing this. we got to stop kicking the can down the road. we got to get this
0: done. Debbie, we appreciate it. Um, we'll see uh, once you dig into these numbers uh, where there's hope there. But uh, interesting, uh, we appreciate the analysis on Washington County. Uh, 17% voting uncommitted there. And that's a, a significant number, as you say, of young people. Thanks very much, and have a uh, safe flight. Buckle your seatbelts. It's uh it's windy out no. there.
5: <laughs> I'm not overjoyed, but you've, you elected me to do a job, so the job I'm going to do. All right, Dickinson. Thin, yeah.
0: I, I think you're going to need that seatbelt when you get off the plane, too. Uh, take, <laughs> take, take care, Debbie. Thank you. All take right. Care. When we come back, we'll get some highlights from Chris Renwick's uh, illuminating interview with President, former President Donald Trump. That's next on JR Morning at six forty-nine. Well, he said he was going to win it by 80 points. wasn't quite that much, but it was an impressive 40-point victory for President Donald Trump. He has already moved into November zone. He had some things to say about Nikki Haley. He called her campaign a joke, predicted the big win. He got a big win, not quite as big as he predicted. Uh, but he's moved kind of in, into a November zone where he's talking about immigration, talking about crime, talking about... Uh, key political issues and his key issue always has been immigration. And Gallup coming out with a poll showing that 20% in January of 2024 named it as their top concern. It is now by a whopping margin the highest it's ever polled. 28% of Americans saying it's their number one concern, beating out government, beating out the economy in general, and inflation. While people are still TO'd about it, has fallen to number four. Uh, he talked about that in his conversation with Chris Renwick yesterday as he called in uh, midway through the primary vote and talked to Chris about the situation on the border.
2: Do you find
6: that the border is is far less secure than when you took over as president? And and why should those voters in Michigan be concerned about what's happening there?
7: Well, they have to be concerned because our company, our country is under invasion an invasion like a World War Two invasion, and you have a lot of mental institutions where they're dropping them right into our country. cleaning up their prison systems, and they're cleaning up their mental institution and institution systems. And they're—I uh, mean—you could go a step further than mental institutions. You have you have people that are so so deranged and ill and and dangerous. They're dropping them into uh, into our country. And it's just crazy what's going on. And you're right. They do more in a day. I mean, think of it than we did practically in a year, if you look at the numbers. And we, had it, we had the best border in the history of our country. That was a border that was bad when I took it over. And I, I won partially because of the fact that people thought I'd do the best job. And they were right because I solved the problem best. The problem is now it's about 100 times worse than it ever was. And it's all made by Biden the worst president in our our history, the country's history. Jimmy Carter looks brilliant by comparison, so at least he's happy. But this guy has no clue what he's doing. And I finally found a way to get him down to the border. We let it out that we're going on Thursday. You know that. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, out of the blue, he announced he's going. Now, he hasn't been there in many years. With all the problems, think of it. What president has not gone there? I went there many times. And we straightened out the border. We, we created the best border ever. And now we have the worst border ever in the history of the world. But we finally found out how to get him off his ass. And I have to say that because it's terrible. It's terrible what he's done to this country. He's destroying our country. Many people say he destroyed our country. Don't be that pessimistic because we'll have to get him out. We're going to get the bad ones out first. We'll get the killers and the drug dealers. We, we have people coming in at levels. You know, these countries are very smart and they're run by people with a lot of uh, street smarts and common sense. And they're cleaning out their prisons and they're dumping them in our country. And Venezuela just announced that under no circumstances will they take anyone back. Hmm. So now we have them and Venezuela, they'll take them back when I'm there. You watch, they'll take them back. They'll take them back and say, thank you very much, sir, for sending back our people. They're going to take them back in spades. But Venezuela, it's very interesting. They said yesterday we're not because they think he's a weak, pathetic president, which is what he is. And under no circumstances did the the dictator, the the king, the the guy, the ruler of Venezuela, that we buy oil from. Okay, we buy oil from him. I would have. I I was putting them out of business. They were going to surrender in about three, four weeks if the election wasn't rigged. So what happens is Venezuela now. Think of it. Has has said. Thank you for taking our criminals. Thank you for taking our prisoners, our mentally ill. Thank you very much. People from an insane asylum, we appreciate that silence of the lamb, right? So, you know, Hannibal Lecter. So we have Hannibal Lecter coming in. Isn't that nice? And I'll tell you what, this country is so badly injured. If you take the worst 10 presidents, I said in my speech, add them together, take the worst 10 that we ever had, they're not as bad as this guy. This guy has destroyed our country.
0: So um, it's in this this president's wheelhouse. When asked separately in the Gallup poll about immigration, whether it was a critical threat, not the most important issue, but a critical threat, 29% of Democrats, 29% of Democrats now say that this surge of immigration across the southern border is a critical threat. So uh, in terms of solutions, he talked with Chris about that.
6: So when it comes to what, what the fixes are, what, what, do you, what do you envision doing if you, if you earn a second term
8: in the White House?
7: Well, the first thing I'm doing, I'll say the border is closed, and people have to come in legally. The border is closed, and I'll have it locked down very quickly. It'll happen very fast. Mm. And the other thing is when you make a statement like that, nobody comes. So nobody was coming. Toward the end, by the time we got that thing done, and don't forget, I had to go through hell to get the money for the wall. Mm-hmm. I had 11 lawsuits. I won all, every lawsuit, but I had 11 lawsuits to get the money. I- so
0: he is saying look, there are going to be mass deportations. Very quickly, the message is going to get through. And he believes the border, under those terms, will kind of fix itself.
7: We'll be back. And we're going to make America great again, greater than ever before and i just want to thank everybody you've been incredible and i'm so proud of the results because they're far greater than anticipated we win michigan we win the whole thing the auto workers are with us we have so many people with us
0: president uh former president trump whipping up the crowd and a call in to uh the uh, listening party the watch party that was over in grand rapids uh, a lot of enthusiasm there as uh he uh, gives nikki haley a pretty doggone good trouncing winning by uh, 40 points. Uh, But one third of Republican voters still were not on the Trump train. What does that mean, guys? I mean, as we look ahead to November, are those people that will come into the fold? We saw in South Carolina, the exit polling said about six out of 10 of them were never coming back.
2: I think it's a problem that they are worried about behind closed doors. If she continues to get however long she stays in this race, continues to get some of this share. It's a warning sign.
0: We know she's bankrolled through Super Tuesday. At least. And, and we'll see what happens after that. We should also point out that uh, while President Trump did very well, the, the primary is not delegate rich. Because of the early vote, there was this huge mess about whether or not the RNC would support our primary. So uh, more than two thirds of the delegates will be chosen in these conventions that are going to be happening March 2nd. Uh, but this uncommitted vote for Joe Biden is causing concern. We talked a little bit about it from uh, with Debbie Dingell. Um, she said, you know, don't just look at Dearborn. Oh, look yeah. at Washtenaw County, where the young voters came out and to, uh, by a 17 percent uh, level of support, voted uncommitted.
1: And and the movement, <clears throat> excuse me, may spread to other states uh, with organizing efforts already underway in Minnesota and Washington, and uh <clears throat> for the Biden campaign, the challenge uh lies in addressing concerns over uh the Gaza policy and uh, mitigating any perceived loss of momentum, particularly as the conflict uh continues on guy
0: well and and while we have problems on the uh democrat side, at least their party leadership is no longer <laughs> is is, is it, it has never been in dispute. Um, and at least we're getting closer to that with the Republican uh, Party. Christina Carama losing in court yesterday up in Kent County.
2: Yeah, a judge says to her, stand down. And will she take the bait here? I, I don't know. She's not supposed to be call, calling herself the chair anymore.
0: Can't use the stationery anymore. Right. So you, you don't have the checkbook. Yeah, you can't don't have to have
1: the, can't get to the finances.
0: Right. So how do you and, and yet she refuses to say whether or not she is going to stand down when it comes to the March 2nd uh, state convention that she was going to be holding which would now be basically a rump convention, a rogue convention here mm-hmm. at Huntington Place. I mean, if you're, the, if you're the executive director of Huntington Place, wouldn't you ask for your money up
1: front uh, at yeah, this point? definitely.
2: Well, think about the RNC has said that she was properly removed. And now this judge is saying there were sufficient votes to unseat Karamo in that January 6th special meeting of the party's state committee. What is left
0: for her the, to And do? the de facto head of your party, Donald Trump, has endorsed the other guy,
2: yeah. Is this not the moment to say, okay, let's unify everyone?
1: Well, she declined to comment on whether she's going to appeal, so she still may. But she says it's not over; they're not going to let it go. Not going to let it
0: go, but she's never let anything go. <laughs> True. She 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 never <laughs> conceded that she got trounced in the in the race for secretary of state. So we I, I wouldn't expect that of her. Um, but at some point, you have to tell your your delegates, your supporters, your state committee members. Folks, wherever Hookster is having his convention, let's show up. We're going to try to be influential, but we're going to work within the system. We can acknowledge that he's chair, but we can still make sure that our issues are heard.
1: What does ego play now in this? How you know? To me, it's, it's getting to the point now, if this continues, it's, it's, it's ego. So is it defiance or is it spite? Oh. There,
0: there is no more counterproductive yeah. emotion than spite.
2: I I don't know what this is because <laughs> I just think as a regular person in the world you'd be like okay people are telling me yeah I'm not the person and I
1: have a judge now yeah. who's kind of solidified
0: everything else and so yeah and, and let's let's face it I mean you've lost on three fronts now and and so you know concede and but tell tell your followers we're still going to make our voices That's heard right. sure we are still an influential grassroots float voting block and they are yeah and we're going to make sure that our uh, anti-establishment or grassroots issues are front and center when we meet at, at Huntington Place. Either way, it's going to be a landslide for Donald Trump. Make no mistake; yeah. I, I, I can't imagine that Nikki Haley is going to get one delegate out of that state convention. We'll be talking further with uh, Jason Roe coming up at eight nineteen. Also, Adrian Heeman coming up at seven forty nine. So we'll make sure we get uh, the uh, political professionals in here to weigh in mm-hmm. on that. In the meantime. Uh, Can we just say that the Red Wings are red hot?
2: Yeah, I just want to briefly talk about sports because they are so hot right now. Shane Goss' Bears scored in each of the first two periods. This was a rout of the Washington Capitals last night. Eight to three, the Red Wings won. First six-game winning streak in nearly five years and the first eight-goal games since 2017. They have depth. They know how to win in different ways. This is very exciting. They lead the Eastern Conference Wild Card standings. It looks like we're heading toward the playoffs for the first time since 2016. And here's just a little fun fact. Um, Lions have showed up. Mm -hmm. Ben Johnson was there when they won against the Blues. Aiden Hutchinson was there last night. The Jared Goff chants still permeate (laughs) LCA Arena. Um, and they're saying, okay, thanks, Lions. You sort of like gave us this momentum, sort of handed the baton to us, yeah, yeah. and we feel like we're going to take it further into the NHL playoffs.
0: They're, yeah, they are no longer just showing up. They have, they have the capability to be very
1: disruptive.
2: Dangerous in the playoffs. Yeah. Not just get there, but be dangerous.
1: So yeah. do we get another handoff maybe to the Tigers now?
2: Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't you know,
1: they've got some – I'm so
0: excited <laughs> about the young arms they have down there. Young and in many cases rebuilt arms, even at their young age, uh, they've already had the Tommy John. Hey, a couple of stories that uh, haven't gotten nearly enough attention. We've got a majority of workers at the Tuscaloosa Mercedes-Benz plant that have voted to join the UAW. Mm. So we could see one of the largest and most influential foreign automakers uh, wow. become, and we've got, you know, it's, it's trending that way with the Volkswagen plant down in Chattanooga. Um, so Sean, Sean Fain, Fain, while he's he's taking a lot of fire from Donald Trump, is notching a lot of victories where it matters for him and his rank and file. Uh, that this they
2: set aside a ton of money to get this
0: done—forty-five million dollars—and so uh, it and it's beginning to pay dividends. Also, and I'm still trying to figure out what this means, but Iran is reducing its its near weapons grade stockpile of uranium. Um, they have been hell bent for leather. Mm-hmm. trying to get their nuclear program up and running. So why do you draw down your stockpile? They are trying, you know, while they're they're, they're hootie, all their uh, proxies are still bombing the daylights out of us and committing terrorist acts, they're trying to send some kind of an olive branch out there to uh, those that may want to restart nuclear negotiations. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll have to give some very, yeah. very uh, critical thought to that. Uh Time for WJR's Business Beat. Let's check in with Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation, brought to you by
8: shelving.com. We rack your world. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy, Lloyd, Jamie. We've heard the warnings. AI could pose a serious threat to human existence within just a few years as the technology and its capabilities morph and expand at breakneck speed. Well, now a Microsoft-backed generative AI company known as Mistral on Monday Unveiled a new model that the company's founder, Arthur Mensch, said can perform some reasoning. That's right, an AI model that can reason. Reason like human beings. Isn't that supposed to be off-limits for AI? And isn't the ability to reason supposed to be something uniquely human? Not anymore, it seems. The new AI model is being made available by open source on its platform and through Microsoft Azure Cloud Services, the company's first distributor partner. Brad Smith, Microsoft president, announced new AI access principles at the Mobile World Congress in Barcelona recently. This was part of an effort to address Microsoft's growing role and responsibility as an AI innovator and market leader. He had this to say, the new AI economy is creating not just new opportunities for existing enterprises, but new companies and entirely new business categories. Now, in terms of reasoning, that's the ability to think logically and reach conclusions Mistral is being promoted as a model that reaches top-tier reasoning capabilities and can be used for complex multilingual reasoning tasks, including text understanding, transformation, and code generation. So the needle keeps moving, guys. By many estimations, AI will be one of the biggest business opportunities in history. Many others fear, though, that in spite of its value to business, AI that advances to the point where it can, for example, conduct human-like reasoning, could spell big changes for humanity as we know it. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, the source for everything you need to start and grow your own business. And that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. All right, let's get
1: into the rapidly evolving landscape of electrified vehicles, a sector that's capturing the attention of consumers and reshaping the automotive industry. Now, Consumer Reports recently unveiled its annual top 10 uh, ten top picks uh, list for 2024 and notably this year's list prominently features hybrid plug-ins and fully electric vehicles these selections not only reflect exceptional performance but also underscore a significant shift in consumer preference towards electrified options and on the jr morning live line to talk more about this subject is jake fisher senior director of automotive testing for consumer reports jake good morning good morning EVs are prominent on uh, the uh, top ten list of uh, Consumers Report. Can you kind of walk us through some of uh, why the standout picks uh, came out in this category?
9: Yeah, sure. No problem. Um, you know, what's interesting about it is, you know, we talk about a lot about EVs, right, electric vehicles. But actually only one of the top picks is actually a pure EV. What there are, there's lots of other options that are electrified, I suppose, is is the term, where um, either they're hybrid or they're plug-in hybrid vehicles. And um, plug-in hybrid vehicles are some vehicles. We actually tested quite a lot of them last year. We tested about 12 of them. And they're probably the most misunderstood. I think to this point, like a lot of people really understand what a hybrid uh, is. Mm -hmm. you You don't actually plug it in, but it actually just gets really good fuel efficiency. An EV, you only plug it in. It doesn't use gas. The plug-in hybrids are kind of this uh the dark horse, I think, in the industry of these vehicles that every day on your commute you could run on electric power, but if you have to take a trip and anyone who drives an electric knows that the infrastructure isn't quite there yet. There's a lot of broken chargers and it could be a bit of inconvenience. With a plug-in hybrid, you don't have to deal with that.
0: You know, it's 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 interesting. I, I was with some auto dealers over the weekend, and they said, you know, the first quarter's always a little slow. But they said the EVs just aren't moving. But they're seeing interest in hybrids. So is does, does it seem that this, this drift, that the initial adoption that we saw that was so frenetic and so highly charged, pardon the pun, is now moving to more <laughs> hybrids or, you know, kind of a bridge to an electrified future?
9: I see what you did there. Um you know what I mean it's it's a really good question and the point is is that you know there are more EVs being sold than ever but there's such a supply side they have built so many of these EVs they've really saturated the market especially where the EVs stand which tend to be kind of this high-end luxurious high-performance market. So there is a thirst from consumers for something that's more affordable, more practical option. Maybe you don't need to, you know, out-accelerate a Ferrari on the way to uh, the grocery store, Um, you know, and there these hybrids and these plug-in hybrids can be a really practical choice. And what's interesting is that the domestic auto manufacturers are kind of really on the leading edge here. Because if you look at what Stellantis is doing, Stellantis actually has a lot of plug-in hybrids. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, uh, and, and Ford with their, I mean, really the only one in game, uh, a 37 miles per gallon pickup truck, that's one of our top picks um, with the Maverick. And it sounds like GM is really going to kind of switch gears a bit mm-hmm. and try to invest in this area of hybrids, which they did before. And it sounds like they're going to come back to it. We should really point good... out
0: the only EV that you have as a top pick is the Tesla Model Y.
9: That is correct. That is the only pure EV. And the reason why really has to do with that infrastructure. Because when you have a Tesla, it's a different animal. When you, it's a different experience because the Tesla superchargers are that much better than the experience you have with any other EV.
2: Jake, only three of this year's top picks are carryovers from twenty twenty three, so things are changing a lot.
9: The market is changing. I mean, it's a really exciting time to be in the auto industry, just because everything is just changing very quickly. Um, Especially, you know, again, with you know more options, more more EVs, more plug in hybrids, more of these options. And in fact, if we look at if you look at twenty twenty three versus twenty twenty two, there are about fifty percent more EVs sold. But more of a percentage when it comes to hybrids or plug-in hybrids. So it's a rapidly changing uh, market, and you know what? A lot of us think we're, it's where it's going to go, and a lot of us are going to be wrong. So it's going to keep on changing each year, and we're going to we're going to reflect where the market's going.
1: And, and Jake, BMW X5, uh, BMW's X5. That's a plug-in. It earned the top spot in the in your report, the 2024 brand report card markings. Um, what sets the BMW apart?
9: Well, when you look at just – so so we we launched the the 10 top picks, right? So there's 10 vehicles in different categories. And then we look at the brands all together. And when we look at brands, we're not just looking at how it performs in our testing. We're also looking at reliability. We're looking at safety features, making uh, features uh, standard. And uh, BMW, Subaru are kind of right at the top positions returning this year, which is kind of very impressive for Subaru to kind of – you know, hold its own against much more, much pricier uh, okay. car companies. They're sandwiched between Porsche and BMW. That's a nice place to be. But, but further down the list, um, I will call attention to both Cadillac and Ford, which made huge strides this year. Um, Cadillac went up 11 spots this year. Uh, Ford went up about seven spots. Um, they're really um, they're getting better. The reliability is improving, and. They, those models do really well in our tests. They make very nice vehicles.
0: Jake, we should point out, though, that when you road tested a lot of these EVs, you found that they had significantly a uh, higher rate of problems. Wasn't it 30% more problems or 40% more <clears throat> problems than their non-EV counterparts?
9: Yeah, so we do um, more than 50 tests on all the vehicles that we, we we purchase at our track. But when it comes to reliability, we get it from about 300,000 vehicles of reports from people who own these vehicles and what's going on in terms of problems. And you're exactly right. When it comes to EVs, we're seeing more problems than gasoline-powered cars. And And they're supposed to be simpler. Well, they absolutely are simpler. You know, and everything being equal, they should be less – they should be more reliable. There's no Mm -hmm. question. The problem is, and if you look at any of the EVs in the market, what are they? They are technological tour de forces. They're cars that go zero to 60 in five seconds because of where they are in the market. And there's often these brand brand new platforms with all of the latest electronics. There's more to go wrong. They aren't just electrified versions of Corollas and, and, you Mm -hmm. know. uh, Do hybrids suffer
0: the same problems?
9: No, they don't. In fact, the hybrids on average are more reliable than gasoline powered cars partly because they're often built by very reliable automakers. That's interesting but because
0: all- you've got two power plants there that would double
9: your chances of having something <laughs> go wrong. That, that's exactly right, but it's like you need to look in, and see who is producing these hybrids, and a lot of them are made by, you know, Hyundai, Ford, Toyota, mm-hmm. all automakers that have all a right. lot of experience making hybrids.
1: Jake Fisher, Senior Director of Automotive Testing for Consumer Reports. We appreciate your time and your expertise.
9: All right, you're welcome.
1: JR. Morning continues after this. Concern for the Pope this morning, just
0: to keep him in your thoughts and prayers, usually Wednesday is his big papal audience day, and that has been canceled. And he's been taken to the hospital with his flu-like symptoms, Lloyd? Flu- yeah,
1: flu symptoms. Uh, he's had them for a number of days, they say. They say they, uh, the Vatican has yet to clarify the nature of the short visit. The Pope had canceled appearances on both Sunday and Monday due to his flu symptoms. Uh, But he did make the traditional Sunday blessing. They said he had been hurt, like coughing repeatedly during Ash Wednesday services uh, earlier this month. Yeah. Um,
0: So we're going to hope for the best for him. I imagine they're going to give him some IV fluids, get him back on his feet. Um, We have a long tradition here in the state of Michigan that when there are trouble spots in the world, refugees, people left homeless... Uh, that Christian organizations, Jewish organizations, all kinds of religious organizations will take them in through these refugee programs. But now, um, with greater concern about our border security, there is also increased scrutiny on these refugee programs as well. To learn more about it, let's uh, bring in Tom Barrett, who is a former state senator and now a Republican candidate for Michigan's 7th Congressional District. Uh, Former Senator Barrett, good morning.
10: Good morning, Guy, and uh, the rest of your team. Thank you for having me on this morning.
0: i got to tell you, some of the proudest moments I, I spent was watching my church. I, I think they were from Mogadishu years ago, bringing in refugees when a horrible famine and political unrest was there. We have a, a, a kind of a faith history of, of reaching out, a helping hand to troubled people. What is it about, who, who, would, who are you concerned about in, in the programs that this uh, refugee program would now be servicing?
10: Sure. And and I want to be clear that, you know, um, obviously, as Americans, we have a humanitarian obligation to, um, you know, do our best to try and provide for, um, you know, care and, and uh, humanitarian aid for those that are facing a true crisis. And, and America has a long tradition of doing that. Um, I mean, we've even fought wars on behalf of, uh, you know, other people who can't fight for their own independence and freedom. Uh, but what we're talking about right now is you know the the just flow of illegal migrants coming across our border particularly the southern border Uh, they are typically put out on parole they will uh, generally seek asylum status and then will be quickly put out on parole generally with a, a, a date to determine their eligibility years into the future which then draws in more people for that because the system has been overwhelmed and they know that there will be a long duration of time in which they will be eligible to remain in this country under this president and what happened in michigan is our our governor her administration put out a call to michigan residents to ask them to house migrants that are coming across our border and i think that's different than some of the circumstances excuse me guy that you're talking about where we have had small groups of people that have been impacted by either a natural, <clears throat> natural disaster, or some other, um, you know, policy of uh, concern in their particular country versus literally more than 8 million yeah. illegal entries into our country. So, so she, I think she is now to keep them.
0: channeling people that this isn't famine, drought, civil war. She is now channeling migrants into our refugee programs.
10: Yes. So because individuals can choose can, basically claim asylum status as refugees when they cross the border and we know that that program has been abused to the tune of millions of people now coming across our border it becomes impossible to really uh, effectively manage that program and what really bothered me is that the governor put out this call not for Joe Biden to secure our border which would you know really cut down on this you know economic uh, you know, uh, you know, concern for people here in our country to care and feed and and house migrants. Instead of calling on Joe Biden to secure the border, she put out a call to Michigan residents to house these migrants while refusing to house any of them herself. She has a 10,000 square foot mansion in Lansing provided by taxpayers in addition to a 7,000 square foot home on Mackinac Island and has been unwilling to house any migrants while calling on other uh, other Michiganders to do that for her. So it, to me, it was another do as I say, not as I do democratic policy that we've seen from this governor in the past, but it also fails to remedy the real problem, which is a complete and total lack of any security in any meaningful way on our southern border that we need to address. And it's a huge part of why I'm running for Congress is to really address the failure of security at our southern border that no one has stepped up to do.
2: Um- Sir, according to a statement from the Office of Global Michigan, they say this program is limited to refugees who are still overseas, awaiting placement after vetting by the federal government, and does not include individuals arriving at the southern border.
10: Well, if that's the case, and if that's truly the the case, then why hasn't Governor Whitmer stepped up to house any of these migrants? So, again, my, my question is valid. If she truly claims that all of these individuals coming here are well vetted, and pose no threat to Michigan, no threat to any of our security, why won't the governor herself with multiple residences, uh, you know, 10,000 square foot residents in Lansing, 7,000 square foot residents on Mackin Island, why won't she lead by example and house migrants there? Will Curtis Hertel, my Democratic opponent in this election, uh, who's the hand-picked candidate by Governor Gretchen Whitmer, will he answer this call to serve by our governor and house these uh, refugees and migrants at his home? I mean, we haven't seen any of the Democrats. You
0: made made your report about the migrants, but again, you're you're kind of, I wouldn't say demonizing, but you're calling into question this refugee program. They're saying migrants aren't a part of that. So do you withdraw your, your, your criticisms of it?
10: No, I think that the point is valid that we have had an abuse of the refugee program in the United States, and we need to address that crisis before looking at Okay. How we are going to based on uh, what though I, I guess I'm
0: failing it. to understand and it's, it's, excuse me i, I maybe have uh, you know Wednesday brain here, but w- 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 where is the evidence that that refugee program has been misused mm-hmm. if these are still people that we're bringing in from overseas who are thoroughly vetted
10: mm-hmm. uh, I would not say that every individual under this program has been thoroughly vetted, and furthermore, we have had under this president more than eight million illegal entries into our country. We have had people who claim asylum status as they cross the border, claiming refugee status as they cross the border. They are quickly put out onto a parole status as they are uh, encountered at the border and then turned out into our country and then are resettled into states and cities across our country. And we need to get a control of that particular acute problem before we are looking at further bringing in more and more refugees. That is my overall concern and my overall point. Is that how are we going to parse out who's coming here under, you know, truly, uh, you know, what we would all consider to be refugee status versus those that are abusing the program Mm -hmm. and coming here and overwhelming the system? Well, there needs to be a firewall between those two things,
0: doesn't, doesn't there?
10: Yes, there does, but there hasn't been. And that is another cause for such concern, is there hasn't been any type of effective firewall program there. So you can say, yes, one individual here. Uh, in in a particular given circumstance. And Guy, you mentioned a a refugee program that your church was involved in. That is not the point that I am making. The point that I am making is how are we bringing in more and more and more refugees under one set of circumstances when we have already been overwhelmed by those seeking refugee status in some other fashion or another way that I think we can all say has not been done in a thoroughly vetted fashion.
2: Correct. In that, Michigan took in two thousand four hundred and thirty-seven refugees in fiscal year twenty twenty-three. That's more than double than fiscal year twenty twenty-two. But according to the Detroit News article, the Welcome Corps is private sponsors who would house these people and um, you know find housing, put the kids in school. This is uh, you know volunteers who want right. to. Yeah, so
0: they they're not a burden if they're
2: sponsored, right. presumably
10: right but again if gretchen whitmer and her administration put out this call to michigan residents to do that why hasn't she stepped mm-hmm. up in that fashion if she's calling on us to do it she certainly has the capacity yeah. in the various homes that she has and if this is truly a critical need in michigan i think leadership involves leading by example you know and that's that's been my point i uh, i think that the governor shouldn't be putting out this call to michigan residents and instead should be calling on our president to secure our border Again, I'm running for for Congress sure. mm-hmm. to challenge the immigration system that we have right now, that has allowed the flow of millions, literally over eight million now encounters that we've had mm-hmm. at our border no, under I, this president. That's certainly which is closing on. It's literally we share than your the concern about yeah. that. Absolutely,
0: I, I got to ask you: if you were in Congress today, there's this alternative plan put forth by the problem solvers. It would reinstitute something akin to Title 42. It would reinstitute. Um, remain in Mexico. Uh, but then it would also provide uh, some funding for Ukraine. But it would strengthen the southern border, certainly, and, and stem this flow. If you were in Congress today, could you support something like that?
10: Well, I do not believe that it would actually strengthen the southern border. It is another one of these do this now and we will strengthen the border later proposals. We've seen that uh, when President Reagan gave amnesty uh, to the illegal immigrants that were in the country back in the 1980s when Barack Obama did the uh, DACA proposal. What we had following that was a surge yeah. in illegal immigration into our country. I do not in any way trust Joe Biden to actually secure the
11: border.
0: Well, these are and House Republicans say, me- in, in in conjunction. You know who the problem solvers are. I mean, it's 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 a bipartisan yes, group. So you don't have any faith I, I, that this I, would make a difference then?
11: I do
10: not believe, and furthermore, it says that it would not trigger any of these things until encounters were surpassing five thousand a day at any given point on the border. Why aren't we already securing the border? Okay, but I, it is already. I, I think that was the previous the proposal.
0: I think this one doesn't have that threshold. But we'll we'll, we'll wait to see what the uh, they haven't released the full details on that yet, Tom. And we'll have you back when they do because I'd love your take on it.
10: Yeah, I mean, if they haven't released the details, then certainly I'm not going to take a position on it, but. I will say that it is already illegal to enter the country without authorization. The president has ample authority to act in that fashion to secure our border and refuses to do so. He on his first day in office, he eliminated any further construction of any barriers along the southern border. He canceled a deployment. You know, I retired from the army two years ago. Mm -hmm. We were pending for a deployment down to the southern border. And the day Biden took office, he canceled that
0: deployment. Yeah, 50 different, I think, executive orders regarding immigration that uh, certainly were a step back. Tom Barrett, thanks very much. Be safe out on the trail, okay?
10: Thank you. Joe Biden's the first president to take steps to unsecure our border. We've got to stop that. Tom Barrett for Congress com. Thank you for
0: having me on. All right. Take care. Tom Barrett, uh, former state senator, now uh, looking to uh, face off for Michigan's seventh congressional district. And we thank him for coming out. When we come back, uh, we're going to get the latest on the primary through the eyes of uh, Grassroots Midwest head Adrian Hemond. What exactly does that uncommitted vote mean to Joe Biden? 13 percent, 100,000 votes. How damning is that for the November election?
2: The dust has begun to settle on the Michigan primary a day later, and Donald Trump and Joe Biden both won convincingly. But did the primary reveal concerns for both of them, for Biden and Trump? Let's bring in Adrian Hemond. He is the partner and CEO of Grassroots Midwest. Good morning, Adrian. Thanks for having me. Let's start with the uncommitted vote up about 13 percent when it comes to the Democratic primary. How concerning is that for President Biden?
11: I don't think it's especially concerning at all. This is basically equivalent to the percentage that uncommitted got in 2012 when we also had an incumbent president uh, on the primary ballot without much in the way of real opposition from another candidate. Um, You know, President Obama in 2012 got about 11, 12 percent. And this year it looks like uncommitted is going to clock in right around 13 percent.
1: Adrian, could this snowball even more, though? I mean, the movements, could they spread to other states uh, because they're starting to organize now in other states? And so that could this be a problem? And they're even talking about protesting outside of the convention uh, in the summer. You know, I do
11: expect to see some protesting. Um, you know, that's uh, this uncommitted vote uh, seems to be localized to the sort of furthest left wing of the Democratic Party and then to the Arab-American, Muslim-American community in southeast Michigan. Um, If you look at the, uh, you know, you dig into the vote totals from last night, um, Uncommitted did great in the city of Dearborn, um, beat the brakes off of President Biden. um, But that's basically the only place that it did. Um, Even in super progressive Washtenaw County, Uncommitted couldn't crack 20 percent. Some of those folks are going to refuse to vote for the president um, in the fall, but most of them are not. Most of them are going to end up uh, coming home to vote for Joe Biden or they're not going to vote at all.
0: How much stock should we put in a primary vote where he's, he's basically running um, you know, unopposed? Dean Phillips, Marianne Williamson no longer in the race. Uh, so when you look at that, though, does it say, especially with the youth in Washtenaw County, that he's got a problem?
11: No, I don't think it does, um, partly because the folks that were voting against him in Washtenaw County by and large aren't students. Uh, University of Michigan's on spring break right now. So's Michigan State University. Um, and so a lot of those same kids that got registered to vote at their college address so that they could vote for Governor Whitmer in 2020, 2022 and vote for Proposal 3, um, they're not at school right now.
2: Uh, Adrian, Nikki Haley got about twenty-six and a half percent. The campaign for Haley is saying the number of Michigan GOP primary voters who didn't pick Trump is a warning sign. You
11: know, I, there's something to that. Um, and the reason that there's something to that is what we saw in 2020, right? There is a durable percentage of the Republican Party that is repulsed by Donald Trump. Um, As soon as you say that, Donald Trump's also the most popular Republican politician in the country with the Republican base. And so that's a uh, difficult problem for them to solve. Um, But they, by and large, solved it in 2020 um, when you look at the fact that uh, no Republican candidate has ever received more votes than Donald Trump did in 2020. Um, They need to bring their base voters home. Um, They had some success with that in 2020. Remains to be seen if that'll be the case in 2024.
1: And Adrian, what's what's Nikki Haley's, uh, you know, bottom line here? I mean, she's she's been losing, and she lost in South Carolina. She lost last night. Uh, she says she's going to stay in through at least Super Tuesday. Uh, w- what's her be all end all?
11: That's really difficult to say. Um, you know, she may well stay in uh, beyond Super Tuesday, but as you pointed out, she lost South Carolina, a state where she was a reasonably popular governor. Um, she just lost Michigan. Um, just in the last week, we hear that Americans for Prosperity and the Koch Network have um, pulled out of financially supporting her campaign for the presidency. So there's not a path to victory for her here. It's difficult to say what her end game
0: is. Adrian, in January, only 20% of Americans said immigration was their biggest issue, their most important issue. That has jumped in one month to 28%. It by far leads all other issues, Um, and and it's the highest it's ever polled. Uh, How big of a problem is that for the for President Biden? It's
11: certainly a problem. Um, You know, objectively speaking, we've got issues at our southern border, and um, people have people have noticed. Um, I think part of what's going on here is that the National Republican Party has decided that immigration is a good issue for them and that it's one of the issues they're going to run on. And so they're hammering the president about the uh, problems at the southern border
0: and sort of highlighting that. Well, it's interesting when Gallup asked the question differently, do you see this as a critical threat? Democrats viewed illegal immigration as a a critical threat to the tune of 29 percent, so nearly one in three.
11: Yeah, I think that's right. Um, And, you know, the more the profile of that issue gets raised, I think the more you'll see those numbers go up. I expect them to go up more between now and the election um, because uh, the presidential election is partly going to be contested on that terrain.
2: Adrian, we had Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. She said the state is purple. So we should expect both these men to campaign hard as we head toward November here.
11: That's absolutely right. There's not a path to the presidency without Michigan for either of these men.
0: Uh, this is a must-win state for both of them. And do you see one having the upper hand over the other?
11: Um, right now, you have to say that it's former President Trump just based on the polling results that we've seen, right? Um, we've seen consistent polling results showing him ahead in Michigan for a while. Um, as soon as you say that, uh, we saw pretty uh, similar results in uh, 2012 during the Obama reelection where um, – you know, uh, mm-hmm. Mitt Romney was uh, beating him relatively easily in the polls, and he ended up winning in Michigan. So um, there's a long way to go before November, but you have to say slight advantage mm-hmm. Trump right now.
2: Adrian Heman, partner and CEO of Grassroots Midwest. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Coming up, the news topics of the day. Stick with us on jr Morning.
0: Coming up in a few short minutes, we're going to be talking to Jason Rowe to get the Republican side of what happened last night in uh, our Tuesday primaries. They were Pretty super Tuesday for President Biden, who uh, nails down 80 percent of the vote. And for President Donald Trump, it appears that the rematch is firmer and on a firmer path than it was prior to the mentoring Michigan. We've got the Super Tuesday primaries, which would seal the deal. And it appears at least that Nikki Haley's going to be in for those as well.
2: She has to have some sort of underlying reason for doing this. And we talked to, I forget who it was yesterday, Lloyd, who said perhaps she's waiting for these court cases to manifest with Donald Trump. So
0: it's interesting, you know, who are her donors at this point? The Wall Street Journal put this out and they said her donors are there. They're solid through Super Tuesday. And they look upon her like you would look at a lottery ticket. We're going to we're going to we know it's a long shot bid, but if it pays off, it will pay off hugely. So we're willing to put down some money for now just for that reason as a backstop to a criminal conviction that could turn the tide. That we, I mean, based on the scheduling, uh, barring something coming from the Supreme Court in the next couple of weeks, right. that's going to be, right. uh, you're going to need a telescope to see it. So, um, <laughs> but meantime, uh, there still was a significant group, about 33% that were no Trumpers.
2: Yeah, I mean, both of these people that are barreling toward a general election have some issues, and you can see that within our Michigan primary. I mean, Nikki Haley got 26.5% of the vote here, and her campaign is saying that's a problem when you get to the general election.
0: Yeah, I would say it's also a problem, though, that it's a shrinking I mean, she she had her party before. Yeah, yeah right. Now, that's her home state. But she she also, you know, what we saw, it, she didn't build off of that. And and that's going to be a problem on the Democrat side. Um, we saw a significant number of, of Democrats voting uh, uncommitted. We just heard from Adrian Heman. He right. says that, you know, historically, going back to 2012 and Barack Obama as an incumbent. And that was 11 percent uncommitted. So yeah, it's, he, he doesn't see that as a big deal. Debbie Dingell, who we talked to off the top of the show uh, earlier this morning, yeah, Mm -hmm. she says it it is. And she said not just the the Arab vote in Dearborn. If you look at Ann Arbor, there are some warning signs there.
5: I've made bets or said to people, I mean, I made it with Rashida. uh, I said to Ed Duggan, who's the Biden campaign manager to the Biden campaign, Haley, Stevens, anybody who would listen, Ann Arbor is going to get more votes on Uncommitted than Dearborn does. Everybody kind of laughed at me. Well, we did. And, you know, last night when people started watching the election returns and they're going, Washington County is coming in and its numbers are, uh, I haven't seen the final, but we're somewhere, you know, between 20 and 25 percent. I'm not sure they got to 25 percent. It reflects the young people. Uh, And I've been telling you, young people are one of the critical groups that we have to be talking to.
1: Adrian said, who we spoke to, uh, Adrian Hemant, uh, a uh, partner and CEO of Grassroots Midwest, said he didn't think it was the young people because the young people are on spring break. Yeah. No, I he, he didn't think it was the young people who were voting uh, another question in Washington County.
0: OK, you've 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 sent your message. You want to see a permanent ceasefire. Uh, the president has been trying to address that by saying, look, I'm I'm looking at it. I'm trying to do the best I can here. And I think Monday we're going to have something. Uh, you know, the the question becomes, if there is a ceasefire come November, is it bygones? Do they go back to the president or do they sit at home? Mm,
2: that's well, the question. Yeah. Depending on what a lot happens here through the summer.
1: Exactly. And they want a permanent ceasefire. It depends on if it's a, another temporary in, in November or permanent. We'll see. Right. Um. By the way, you know, we were talking that immigration
0: is now the number one issue in the country, according to Gallup. This this uh, horrible situation with uh, the uh, slaying down in Georgia of this uh, nursing student. Mm-hmm. Do you get the feeling her name's Lake and Hope Riley? By the way, mm-hmm. I don't want her to go unnamed. Just twenty two years old, lovely, lovely young woman who's lost her life to a Venezuelan illegal immigrant. AP calls him an Athens man. That's a separate problem. Mm-hmm.
2: Who had been stopped by police twice before?
0: Had a had a criminal record. Um, how how much of a game changer do you think this story is? I I got the feeling as I was watching that. And I watched it over 3 days and not just on Fox that that was a tipping point moment in this immigration discussion. There was there was a high level of concern. It's polling at 28 now. I, if if they go back into the field in March in, on the heels of that, mm-hmm. I got a feeling it's even bigger.
2: To me, I see what you're saying. I think our news cycle these days is so quick that possibly know it's not a tipping point, but I, there are a lot of people talking about
1: it. Well, and, you know, they're, they've they been talking about a lot of hypotheticals of who comes in and they're criminals and they do this and do that, but when you see it and right. somebody actually does, I think that can be a
0: tipping point. It, it, it just brings it home, and it's one of those, you know, just as we saw with George Floyd was a tipping point yes. moment. I'm wondering if this young woman won't and, and become a tipping point moment. that. Democrats, urban dwellers that are watching what's already happening with the overflow of refugees are going to say enough. We've got 29 percent of Democrats polled now saying that this is a critical threat, not a critical issue, a critical
1: threat. They're housing to, a lot of the, these people that are getting shipped to these to their cities, too, no, so no question. Uh, bringing attention to it. And now them. there's
0: this issue of crime, and, and I'm not looking at demonizing all illegal uh, migrants here. But this it was a moment where it, it just the tone deafness on it is, is going to
1: resonate.
0: Our, our chief is uh, going to be talking about crime in Washington. He's got a pretty good story to
1: tell. He does. Detroit Police Chief James White is set to visit the White House today. He's going to join a select group of police chiefs to meet with President Joe Biden. Their agenda? Well, tackling crime reduction strategies that have uh, seen some success in their respective cities. Uh, White, uh, representing Detroit, uh, praised the efforts of his officers and emphasized the importance of community partnerships in driving down crime rates, with Detroit experiencing its lowest homicide numbers since 1966 and significant drops in other major crimes in 2023. The chief attributes uh, this success to collaborative efforts. And looking ahead, the chief plans to discuss initiatives for 2024 with the president, pri- prioritizing mental health, juvenile crimes, and expanding community policing. He says he aims to further drive down the crime rates this year as well. The chief will join us tomorrow morning on J.R. Morning after he returns from Washington. We've seen this
0: decrease in violent crime in a number of cities, uh, you know, in, in spite of this horrible story out of Georgia. But we've seen an increase in property crimes. And let me tell you, it's, it's rippling through a number of different sectors. When Macy's announced that it's closing its 150 stores, and I think all of our hearts get a little hurt oh, by yeah. that because we remember the trips to Macy's and Hudson's <laughs> yes. uh, as kids but this the, the the biggest store that it's closing is its flagship store in san francisco, and yes it's about the shrinking retail market and the, the emergence of e commerce it's also about the fact that people in San francisco don't feel they can safely visit the Macy's anymore
3: Well, there are a lot
2: That's of right. smashing grass a lot of grass
0: in in san Francisco. E- exactly yeah. and so it's yeah you're right it's not just the perception of a lack of safety when you shop there it's about the the uh, the, the the losses yeah. that you're going to take because your your product's going out the door, yep. right? The shrinkage, yeah, is the, what they call it. Yes, the, the, the shrinkage and the, uh, the, the the just the risk of doing business there increasing and looking at a judicial system that says, well, as long as they steal nine hundred ninety nine dollars <laughs> worth of right. stuff, you know.
1: We'll just let it slide. Right, and uh,
0: and and they're and they are sending a very strong message there uh, with the closure of that San Francisco store. In the meantime, we got 14 stores here in the state of Michigan. We'll keep our fingers crossed that we, uh, we keep them all. Yeah, uh, I guess the good news is they're going to reinvest heavily uh, in the remaining stores once they trim these 150. There'll be about 350 left. And, uh, and we I, may get
1: a Bloomingdale's. We may get some Bloomingdale's. Yeah. That'd be great. And are,
0: it Bloomingdale's. Be, and they're also talking about some outlets, and some too, outlets. Too. which yes. would be, yeah, I, we, we, I'm love, in. we love a bargain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no question about that. It's 814 on News Talk 760 WJR. When we come back, I'm going to be checking in with Jason Rowe up to give us his insights into the Republican side of what happened yesterday in our Tuesday primary. Meantime, Consumers Energy wants to help your business save energy and save money. They've got this small business store with a lot of energy-saving products at low prices. The things that you buy them, and you get a return on your investment very quickly. And by the way, free shipping on all those items as well. We're talking things like LED lighting, advanced power strips, water fixtures, air purifiers, anything that can help save you energy. Make your business more energy efficient. Take in those savings, and then reinvest them in your business. Start saving today by visiting ConsumersEnergy.com slash business store. That's ConsumersEnergy.com slash business store. Shop and save today. He won every county, former President Trump. Not by a little, but by a lot. Um, On our air yesterday, he said it would be an 80-point victory. It wasn't quite that big, but it was a healthy 40% victory. And again, unlike uh, some areas where you could see little shades of... uh, of Nikki Haley, uh, being prominent in certain areas. Uh, it was across the board, Oakland County. Uh, she got, uh, well, it was interesting in Livingston County. She got 26% of the vote, uh, Macomb County, just under 20% of the vote, not making much of a dent, but in Oakland County, 33% in Kent County, 34%. If those are never Trumpers or no Trump this timers, what does that mean for November? Jason Rowe is watching it all with his seasoned eye as principal of Rowe Strategic and former executive director of the Michigan Republican Party. Hi there, Jason. Top of the morning, guys. So, obviously, she, she didn't eclipse 30% statewide. Um, she's not growing her base. How long can she play this out?
6: Well, I, I you know. The idea that that she was going to do anything better here than she did in South Carolina, you know, I I think is naive if anybody thought that she would. I mean, in her home state, she lost by over 20 points, and she spent over $8 million compared to Trump's $350,000. She was the only candidate I saw on TV here in Michigan, and I know in Metro Detroit, and I was at the michigan gop party in grand rapids last night and and i was told she was on tv pretty heavily in the grand rapids area um you know there was just never going to be a path i mean this was a very low information election um i think the chattering class paid more attention to it than the voters i think in the case of both the republican and the democratic primaries the outcome was preordained and, and so i don't think it was terribly interesting I think when it comes to, you know what does her vote mean, I know there's a lot of what I consider overinterpretation that it signals Trump weakness. I, I don't know if people expected Trump to get 80 to 100 percent in any of these primaries, but this is an opportunity for people that don't like Trump to register their dissatisfaction, but I think come November, when it's a binary choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, uh, Joe Biden's been so bad for this country. I think those voters are going to come home pretty easily.
1: Um, Jason, what do you think about the uh, uncommitted of a thirteen percent uncommitted for uh, Joe Biden? What does that mean? And you have this movement of uncommitted that's being organized in uh, other states as well. It could grow.
6: Yeah, I I actually thought they might do a little bit better than they did. I mean, I still think you know for what they were orchestrating, it was an impressive showing. But you know, again, going back to this being a pretty low information uh, election in which most people. Didn't care and weren't really paying attention. I I kind of thought the activist types that, that care about uh, a specific issue like what's going on in Gaza uh, w- would have a little bit better showing. But nevertheless, I I think it was a strong showing. But I think it highlights real weaknesses within the Democratic coalition. I think you know at this point Joe Biden's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. Um, you know, if he, if he changes his position on policy, I think he can hemorrhage a lot of voters within the democratic coalition. And if he stays the course, he's obviously hemorrhaging voters within that coalition. I do think a lot of these voters will come home. Um, you know, if you are a voter that cares about Israel, um, no one's going to be stronger on Israel than Donald Trump is going to be. So, you know, you're probably going to find someone that's at least a little more open to the Palestinian position than Joe Biden. Um, But I I still think when you look, what was it, 100,000 votes cast, Biden won Michigan by 150,000 in 2020. Polling has consistently showed Trump leading in Michigan and and making some inroads in coalitions that typically are reliable Democratic voters. So I, I do think it Shows some real trouble uh, within the Democratic coalition. But, you know, this is trouble we've been seeing for some time.
2: Uh, Jason, what about this idea that it was Democrats who voted for Nikki Haley, not uh, Republicans in this primary? And so, therefore, there is no issue for Trump. Yeah. Listen,
6: I were there some Democrats that probably crossed over. Yeah. Um, You know, the idea that they want Nikki Haley, I think, is. You know, not sincere. I mean, it's not like Nikki Haley is a moderate um, Republican that, you know, tracks with Democrats on significant policy issues. She is a conservative. And so I don't think, you know, Democratic voters would enjoy her any more than they do Trump, albeit she might be a little more civil as a president. Um, So I think it's probably a very small percentage of that vote. And, you know, when you look, you know, and I've talked to reporters over the course of the week on where, I thought she might do well uh it's exactly where Guy pointed out that she did better um Oakland County and in Kent county i you know I think with the Dutch community in Kent County, you have a little bit of a more moderate strain and and uh a culture that doesn't really embrace the kind of antics that donald trump um engages in. Uh, and I think in Oakland County, where you know up until twenty eighteen that was a pretty solidly red county, and we lost two congressional seats, two Senate seats, a couple state legislative seats okay. um Whitmer, Benson, and Nestle all won there. I think you have <clears throat> suburban women and suburban men that that don't necessarily care for trump and i I don't think you can ignore that you know some of the demographic changes in Oakland County are people, um, you know, working in the auto industry of Asian descent who have, you know, relocated uh, for professional reasons. And when you look, you know, at the Indian community in Oakland County, that is a growing population, and uh, they're very interested in in helping to support other Indian candidates. So I think that played a little bit in Oakland County as well.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know, we we know that when you you do a deep dive into the 2020, you find out that the the reason that Donald Trump lost was he underperformed – in Macomb, didn't lose but underperformed, but way underperformed in Oakland County, and didn't do well at all in Kent County. Do you see a similar scenario when you look at Nikki Haley's strengths in 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 those counties?
6: Are you talking about projecting forward to November? Yeah, pr-
0: projecting forward yeah. in November, are, are there takeaways from November in those counties?
6: I, I think there's the potential. That, I you know I personally feel it's a little too early to tell, and the reason is because you know biden's been so bad i mean i i think there's a lot of people out there that maybe didn't vote for trump in 16 or 20 that are giving him a look this time around because uh, you know they underestimated how progressive joe biden would be joe biden presented himself as a moderate adult that was going to be above um kind of the the chaos and you know that chaos is not just trump behavior it's the it's the squad it's the progressives in congress it's You know, some of this it's inflation. It's
0: immigration. It's all of those things.
6: Yeah, all these things. And so I think a lot of folks are looking around and saying, wait, this is not what I signed up for. You know, I thought this guy was going to be a centrist. He spent his entire career in the United States Senate as a moderate. He was pro-life. He was a lot of things that at one time would have been okay for a moderate Republican to cast their vote and not feel guilty about it. But I think anyone that voted for Biden and is looking at the result, calling themselves a Republican, um, probably feel pretty betrayed by what yeah. they've uh, gotten in return.
0: Yeah, we've we've seen the swing voter project that's out there. That boy, the bitterness there is palpable. Uh, Jason Rowe, we always ap- appreciate your insights. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Stay dry, guys. Thanks. All right, we sure will. When we come back, it is a game changer of an economic development coming. to new center, the latest
1: next. Yesterday, the Detroit City Council greenlit a monumental three billion dollar development, development deal, making a pivotal collaboration between Henry Ford Health Systems, Michigan State University, and the Detroit Pistons. This is a transformative project for new center. It was approved by a six to three vote, and involves rezoning multiple land parcels and promises some significant community benefits. However, the decision wasn't without controversy with council members engaging in extensive debate and facing scrutiny from residents. Well, let's get some insight on the vision behind the project and its potential impact on the city from Denise Brooks-Williams. He's executive vice president and CEO of the Care Delivery System Operations for Henry Ford Health, who joins us on the JR Morning Live line. Good morning, Denise good morning this is big news for detroit and new center remind our listeners if you could about the scope of this project and what it means for the city's future
12: absolutely so the future of health project is one that will bring to the city a new and expanded hospital campus our 877 bed um, organization will become all single private rooms we will also have a new expanded emergency department um, a new Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, which is a rehabilitative hospital, 72 beds, and it's 100, and, It's 100. I apologize, it's 1.2 million square feet. We'll also have 662 mixed income housing units as a part of this um, new project, as well as a new research um, building, which is a collaboration between Henry Ford Health System and Michigan State University. Um, It it includes jobs. We've talked about over 8,000 jobs during the construction phase of the project and 700 new jobs that will be permanent as a result of the project. So very significant impact for the future of health, um, as we've described it, right in the new center
2: area. Denise, when there was back and forth between council members, it was not about the Henry Ford project. The Henry Ford Hospital project was always going to be built, correct? Correct
12: well that 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 is absolutely what was said. we We certainly suggested that it might not be built the same if we weren't able to do it in collaboration as we had described, but we absolutely were committed to having an improved campus.
0: to that end, how important is this housing piece, Denise? The fact that um, we know that recruiting workers, main retaining workers. Uh, in any field is a big problem these days, but especially in the healthcare field. So, how important is that? And the fact that I, and there's a certain Section 8 set asides there for low income.
12: Right. We we looked at the housing in multiple ways. One, to your point, allowing those that would be a part of this expanded um, project to have the opportunity and the option if they wanted to live close and adjacent and therefore not displacing individuals that might be in the community. We said, right, 700 new jobs. So we know that that won't be a one for one. Everybody won't want to live in that environment, but we are hopeful that some will. The deeply affordable part of this, so you have 133 units that will be what we call deeply affordable, allowing those that earn less to be able to be a part of the project. That opens up possibilities for those perhaps that we employ or, again, those that just might be attracted to the community. So we saw housing as a huge component, given that that is something that we are going to grow the footprint um, so we think um, that the housing is something that will benefit us, but benefit the community broadly.
1: And you, you talk about the mixed income housing and, and that new medical research center. How do you, how do you envision uh, the those developments like really impacting healthcare accessibility and innovation here in the city?
12: Definitely both. Right. So when you look at research, we are very committed to trying to quite honestly eliminate disparities in health. And so Detroit um, is like a lot of other urban cities where we have over prescribed. Um, certain diseases. So the research center is going to help us to address cancer, not cancer just in a limited fashion, but being able to be targeted on some cancers that might affect those in the community at greater numbers. We're going to look at chronic conditions. We know that black people in the city of Detroit are faced with higher disparate numbers and outcomes with certain diseases, and we are going to research those. A part of this project is the Nick Gilbert Neurofibrosis Research Institute, Um, And that's something that the Gilbert Family Foundation is very generously funding to have us look even in that neurological space um, to see how we can make improvements. So the research side is going to be profound in terms of transformation and impact and truly trying to eliminate and address diseases that we face. The housing side, um, as we said, really is transformative in our opinion in the sense that you will have mixed income um, opportunity. So we are looking to make sure that it's inclusive and representative of the community.
2: Denise, my understanding is there's this effort to address concerns about local black developers participation in all of this and Henry Ford health and the Pistons have agreed in some way to, um, to, to work with the nonprofit when it comes to that.
12: Absolutely. So there is a organization um, called Reed And the Pistons and Henry Ford have um, memorandums of understanding that really spoke to our intention. So this project has great intentionality around partnering with disadvantaged business in a very broad sense. But there was um, brought to our attention the opportunity to be more intentional around black developers. Um, and so this relationship that we are starting to forge with Reed, which represents black developers, will give us an opportunity to look at ways to partner both within this project, but even broader beyond that.
0: This Shirley Ryan uh, rehab facility is so I, I don't know that folks realize just how special that is, that the Chicago uh, facility is internationally Known. Dan Gilbert went there when he needed help after his stroke. This could be a magnet for patients throughout the Midwest, couldn't it?
12: Absolutely, absolutely. Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, as you mentioned, is an internationally known rehabilitative facility, and it really has consistently ranked number one in that space. Um, They are in Chicago. They have one partnership outside of Chicago. So the decision, and that was theirs, to come to Detroit and be anchored in the community is absolutely going to be a magnet and transformative, again, for those of us that live here, right? So if that need is here, we're going to have direct access. I think the other part that we pointed out as a strong community benefit is, again, the Gilbert Family Foundation has not only committed to the funds to help to build the facility, but they also have put ten million dollars aside to support those that may come that have financial gaps. Yeah. Um, we, while they, we yeah, hope
1: so we this, never need it, but we're <laughs> right. mighty glad it's going to be there. Denise, do we know Absolutely. when? Do we know when the groundbreaking will take place for the hospital expansion and the research center?
12: You know, we we are we are still in the glow of yesterday's decision, but we are definitely saying that it will be soon. So it will be it will be late spring, um, early
1: summer. All right, Denise Brooks Williams, Executive Vice President and CEO of the Care Delivery System Operations for Henry Ford Health. Thank you so much for your insights. Appreciate you being here.
12: Thank you for having me.
1: And it's you know it's it's really clear, uh, guy, that this this project and new center really has the potential. have a significant impact on the city of Detroit uh, on the landscape and just the community well-being on so many
0: levels. And we should point out, even with the incentives, it will still be a net bonus in terms of return on tax revenues. Yes. And and things like that. When we come back, the U.S. Army reducing its uh, its Fighting force.
6: We'll
0: yeah, by about $24,000. We'll get to that. Also, we've got tickets to the Michigan Golf Show that's coming up March 8th through the 10th. That's all ahead on J.R. Morning.
2: We all have plumbing issues, especially when it's an older home like mine. And I think the hardest thing is finding the right plumber who you can trust. Well... I have told you a couple weeks ago, Shelby Mechanical came to my house and there isn't a company I trust more after seeing what they did for us. They replaced a toilet, handled a couple of plumbing issues we were having in our basement with a gas line and their service tech was awesome. He communicated what needed to be done. He noticed we didn't have all the right parts, the right materials. He went to the store for us twice. He was at our house all day long and frankly, he was lovely to our baby. I'd like to personally thank the team from Shelby Mechanical. Shelby Mechanical is truly Metro Detroit's residential and commercial expert in plumbing, sewer, or drain problems for reasonable prices. Right now, you can get a Bradford White Infinity Series tankless water heater installed with zero interest for 12 months. To get same-day or next-day plumbing service, call Shelby Mechanical for your home or office at 586-726-9444 or visit shelbymechanical.net. That's shelbymechanical.net. For projects big and small, you know who to call Shelby Mechanical for all your plumbing needs. Workforce cuts are in the works for the U.S. Army, along with major restructuring. Military officials say the changes uh, will put the Army in you know, a better position for the next major war. WJR Senior News Analyst Marie Osborne excuse me, has a look at what the Army is planning. Good morning, Marie.
4: And good morning, Jamie. Good morning, everyone. These cuts are in the works as the army struggles to boost recruiting. These are two things happening both at the same time. The army has had problems finding enough soldiers to fill certain jobs. As one army document said, these cuts will be coming in spaces, not bases. No soldiers will be asked to leave. These changes are signaling a shift for the army to prepare for large-scale combat operations against more sophisticated enemies, and it underscores the recruiting challenges that all the military services are facing. These cuts will be in already empty posts, about 24,000 or 5% of the force, and the jobs will be in the area of counterinsurgency. That area of the Army was boosted during the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, but we're now told that they're not needed as much. 3,000 of the Army cuts will be in special operations, but the Army Help Wanted sign is out in other areas. Areas like air defense, counter-drone units, and a new task force which will enhance cyber intelligence and long-range strike capabilities. So in the last fiscal year, the Navy, Army, and Air Force all failed to meet their recruitment goals. The Marine Corps and the Space Force did meet their targets. The Army brought in a bit more than 50,000 recruits, but they needed 65,000. That was their goal. So the total number of active-duty soldiers right now, guys, is 445,000. Under this new plan, the goal would be to bring in enough troops over the next five years to reach a level of about 470,000, and again, they will be put in areas that uh, kind of forward-face the military to the enemies and how they may be fi- fighting a war in the future.
2: Marie, so they're trying to counter Chinese and Russian military, sort of making a shift, and that's something that started with Donald Trump and is endorsed by Biden,
4: this shift. Yeah, and but now we're looking at the real numbers on how this will actually work. Um, so it's been two decades. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but it's been two decades since the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, and the Army at that time had to really... Um, Dramatically uh, fill their brigades. I mean, they had to send bodies to the battlefront, but and and of course, really focusing on counterinsurgency. But now that has all changed, and we hear so much about uh, the drone units uh, and these new task forces. So that's where they're going to be focusing. Uh, you know,
1: <clears throat> Marie, I I just want to know if they don't get their uh, recruiting up, uh, you know, well, in a you know, big war comes up, are they going to institute the draft? Will well, we have to that's, do
4: that? yeah, that's, who knows if that's going to happen. I mean, that is such a um, touchy subject, obviously, yeah. for obvious reasons. So, I mean, there's no, th- this was not discussed in any of these plans that were laid out. Uh, but the, you're talking about needing people, so who knows what will happen in the future.
0: Well, but the, 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 it's the evolving nature of war and what war will be in the future. And, mm-hmm. you know, attention all gamers, uh, they're looking for long. When they say long-range capabilities, that means drone strikes that will be managed from
2: an office. From, yeah,
0: yeah, it'll be like and a that's already hybrid, being done. Yeah, it'll be like yeah. hybrid work today, but it will mm-hmm. be you know it'll be land-based here in America and in uh, doing these things wherever they're needed in the Middle East, in Taiwan, in the China Sea. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, th- th- more and more often, wars going to be uh, waged remotely.
1: Yeah.
4: Right. And that's already being done. I mean, there are are whole groups of people in the military who go to work every day at the Pentagon with briefcases, but they are literally waging a war with drone strikes overseas. I mean, that's a whole new uh, thing that's happening now and has been happening for the last few years. It's now, though, the military will be really focusing in on that.
2: Well, thank you, Marie, as always, for giving us insight into uh, complex topics. Have a wonderful day.
4: You too.
0: Yeah, but you you raise a really good question there, Lloyd. Because Mm -hmm. first of all, it's just it's it's part of what's going on in the labor market, right? It's getting harder and harder to find people. Plus, um, they they're looking at what's being called upon—the repeated tours of duty that Mm -hmm. we've put the soldiers, the fighting forces that we had through that, right? And and just how wearing uh, that is. Uh, Well, that will do it for us. We got a little. We're not going to leave without giving you something, though. Uh, be caller number nine right now at one 800 859 wjr we got four tickets to the Michigan Golf Show. Uh, it's returning to the Suburban Collection Show place March 8th through the 10th. I'll see you there on the 8th plus. And this is a bonus. You'll qualify for a grand prize, a Tullamore Resort stay and play package for you and a guest, including a two-night stay at the resort and 18 whole rounds with a cart on both Tullamore and St. Ives. Uh, spend a lot of time on those golf courses up there. They are both mid-Michigan gems. And you will love the hospitality that you get uh, when you're up there, uh, Canadian Lakesway at Tullamore and St. Ives. So for a bonus chance to qualify, text the keyword GOLF to 800-859-0957. You go out and make it a good day. We'll see you back here tomorrow, bright and early at 6 a.m. Until then, take care.